a day has been set that only one person knows. And it's a day of great importance for everyone here tonight. But as yet, we don't know exactly when that day will actually be. We can guess, but we just don't know for sure when. Who has set that day? Tony Blair. Tony Blair has set the day for the next general election. And this will take place sometime later this year in 2005. So who do you think will be elected? Will it be Tony Blair, who was this week at the World Economic Forum held in the attractive Swiss ski resort of Davos? And the job certainly does have its perks. Or will it be Michael Howard, the leader of the Conservative Party? Or will it be Charles Kennedy, the leader of the Liberal Democrats? Or could it even be Captain Beanie? Now you may not know that Captain Beanie, formerly Barry Kirk, has formed the Bean Party. And he plans to stand as a contender in Aberborn in South Wales. And his claim to fame is setting the world record for sitting in a bath of baked beans. So let's hope he doesn't win. Tony Blair has set a day, and it is an important day. It is the day for the next general election in the United Kingdom. However, there is another day coming, and this day is of far greater importance than any general election. So what is this day? It is the day of the Lord. We're told about this day in the book of Joel in the Old Testament. And this is one of the books we call the Minor Prophets because of its short length. And you can see Joel on the graph on the screen. Now Joel's name means Yahweh is God. And he served as a prophet to Judah, possibly from 835 BC till 796 BC, during the reign of Joash. Although we can't be sure. And the reason why it may have been written around the state is because there are close parallels with the other early prophets. However, the date of Joel's book is far less important than its timeless message. And it's a message that concerns this day of the Lord. David Pryor writes in his commentary on Joel, The day of the Lord is any day God steps into history to do a special work, whether of judgment or of deliverance. So let's turn to the book of Joel. It's on page number 911 of the Pew Bibles. And what we'll do is begin by trying to get an overview of this book. And we'll start by looking at what the day of the Lord actually means. And then next we'll think about what it means for us and how we respond in light of this day. Before we do that, let's first pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to understand your word and put your word into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there are three main things to know about this day. Firstly, it is a day that God has appointed. Secondly, it is a day when Christ is exalted. And thirdly, it is a day when everyone is judged. So firstly, it is a day that God has appointed. I remember when I was younger, one of the things I used to say was, I will do what I like. And I know it's hard for me to believe that. You think I'd be an excellent child. But you can see, 
Some things we think and live as though we could do just as we like. For example, last week an accountant was jailed for five years for stealing £9 million from the company where he worked. And he used the passwords of executives to log on to their computers. And then he would authorise huge payments to finance his gambling on the FTSE and NASDAQ stock markets. And that's just like how the people behaved that Joel was speaking to. This southern kingdom, the nation of Judah, had become prosperous. But they had also forgotten about God. They lived, as, they lived as though they could do just what they liked. But this had dire consequences. In Joel chapter 1, we see that a crisis has occurred. A swarm of locusts has invaded their land. And Joel links this directly with their disobedience. And he tells them it is God's judgment for living as though God did not exist. In parts of Australia, Asia and Africa, locusts still cause widespread damage. One ton of locusts, which is a fraction of a swarm, can apparently eat the same amount of food in one day as around 2,500 people. Although I think it would depend on who those people actually were. I have seen how much some people in this church can eat at Christianity Explored reunion nights. But that's not all. God sent the locusts as a warning of something even worse that could, could happen. And it's all to do with this day that God has appointed. In chapter 1, verse 15, we read, Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. So they had a choice to make. Would they turn back to God and avert future disaster? Either way, God has fixed this day and it will definitely come. And secondly, this day is a day when Christ is exalted. On Friday, Sir Tim Berners-Lee was named the greatest Briton of 2004. And do you have any idea who he is? Neither did I. He is the person that invented the World Wide Web. And he was recognised for that. On the day of the Lord, Jesus Christ, God's Son, will be recognised by all of creation that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But when we come to the New Testament, this day has its ultimate meaning in the second coming of Christ. Think back to our verse for the year. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, we read, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. Notice how the day of the Lord is described here as the day of Christ. It's as though God has set a stopwatch. At Pentecost, we read in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Christians, the stopwatch started. Now it's like the race Ellen MacArthur is in, as we were thinking about last week. She is currently attempting to beat the record for sailing solo around the world. The stopwatch is running. And it's during this time, when the stopwatch is running, that we can be put right with God. The Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter 3 verse 18, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Yet while this may be God's desire, God in his justice will not fail to judge. So finally, 
It is a day when everyone is judged. The day of the Lord is not just for the people of Judah. It is a day when the whole world will be summoned before God's throne. One day the stopwatch will stop. And what will happen next is, is described in Joel chapter 3 verse 14. It says, Multitudes and multitudes, in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near, in the valley of decision. On this day, God will decide every person's destiny. Many of us watched during the week the TV pictures of survivors of the Second World War concentration camp, Auschwitz, as they returned to that site in Poland. Sixty years ago, the Soviet army liberated the camp, in which more than 1.5 million people were horrifically killed. And the US Vice President, Dick Cheney, who also went there last week, he said, The story of the camp reminds us that evil is real. It must be called by its name and must be confronted. And we look at what happened in Auschwitz, and we want the crimes there to be judged by God. But we need to also recognise, on the day of the Lord, everyone will be judged. For we are all guilty before a holy God. So the question is, in light of this coming day, how do we respond? We find an answer to this question in Joel chapter 2. So let's read Joel chapter 2 and verses 12 to 32. Joel chapter 2 and verses 12 to 32. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and have pity, and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children. Those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the brighter chamber. Let the priest who minister before the Lord weep before the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land, with its front columns going into the eastern sea, and those in the rear into the western sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig trees, the fig tree, and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, 
and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be, be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. We find here that the way we respond to the day of the Lord involves serving God from our heart. Now when we think of our heart, often we think of our physical heart. And you might have seen the TV adverts trying to get us to improve our lifestyle and to promote our health, like eating more fruit and vegetables and not pizzas. However, even more important than having a healthy physical heart is having a healthy spiritual heart. And there are three tests that we can take to measure whether a true heart condition is healthy. Firstly, do we serve God with a whole heart? Verses 12 to 17. One of the lessons we learn from Joel is what serving God with a whole heart really means. In the first instance, it involves serving God with absolute commitment. At Christmas, we got a DVD player. And one of the first DVDs I got out was Troy. Now, if you like a good blood and guts film, you will really enjoy Troy. And I thought it was tremendous. Alison didn't appreciate it quite so much. Apparently, there's not enough romance in it or something like that. But it was a great film. But in this film, we see the assault on Troy by the Greek forces. And the main character of the story is Achilles, played by Brad Pitt. And Achilles is the greatest hero among the Greeks. And when Achilles goes to battle, he is 100% committed. Now that's what serving God with a whole heart is like. We serve God with absolute commitment. In verse 12 we read, Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Even now, God says. In other words, it is never too late or too dark to turn to God. And that is our first response to the day of the Lord. Remember, it was God who had sent the plague of locusts on the nation of Judah. But he did it for a purpose. Why? Because he wanted, to, he wanted them to return to him with a whole heart. The film director and actor Woody Allen had a very negative view of life. This is what Woody Allen said about life. Life is full of misery, loneliness, and suffering. And it's all over much too soon. A cheery kind of character. However, sometimes we can see that God may have taken us through a difficult experience for a particular reason. For God disciplines those he loves. Now, if someone goes through a difficult time, it does not mean that they must be away from God that God can use difficult circumstances to bring a person back to himself with a whole heart. For we were made to have a relationship with God. As the early church father Augustine of Hippo wrote, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. 
So we need absolute commitment. And along with this, Joel adds, we are to serve God with authenticity. In verses 13 and 14 we read, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. God is looking for sincerity. David Pryor comments again helpfully. Crying to God is not the same as returning to God. The Lord is looking for a people who will not only cry out to him, but who will return to him with all their heart. And we see this in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. The son came back from living in rebellion against his father. And he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice, there is no victim mentality here. The son had done wrong, and he took full responsibility for what he did. He was repentant. So how did the father respond? Did he say, you've messed up, tough luck? No, he didn't. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's what we find here in Joel. The Hebrew verb used in verse 12 for our returning is the same Hebrew verb used in verse 14 for God's turning to us. So we can see this is not some distant and aloof God. God was longing for his people to be reconciled with him. So that is the first measurement of a healthy heart. Do we serve God with a whole heart? The second measurement is do we serve God with a thankful heart? Verses 18 to 27. Now we come to the turning point of this book. In verse 18, despite the rebellion, the Lord will take pity on his people. You see, God in his grace took the initiative in bringing us back to himself, supremely in Jesus Christ. And because of that, a Christian's life should be characterized by thankfulness. And it shows itself in two main ways. Firstly, there is a sense of amazement at God's grace to us. For example, last week, British holidaymakers in southern Spain woke up to something totally unexpected. They were looking forward to escaping the British winter and instead enjoying sunny Spain. However, they were amazed to wake up one morning and find snow on the ground. So instead of t-shirts and shorts, they were going around in Wellington boots. Do you feel sorry for them? Neither do I. You're all shaking your head. (laughs) We're just jealous, that's all it is. Now here's something for every Christian to think about. Am I still amazed at the grace of God? Am I still amazed that Jesus, this one who is God, left heaven's splendor and came to this earth to die on a cross for my sins? Does that amaze me? As the songwriter Charles Gabriel could write, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. There is a sense of amazement and wonder at God's love for us. And so, in being thankful, our lives are also marked by adoration. Read in verse 26. 
You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God. Who has worked wonders for you? Never again will my people be shamed. People of Judah were to experience God's mercy. God would, re- God would restore the food to the hungry. And in response, they would praise the name of the Lord and tell others of his greatness. As I'm sure you know, last Tuesday, the 25th of January, was an important day for us here in Scotland. It was Burns Night. And we expressed our appreciation of Robert Burns. And you might well have had haggis, neeps and tatties for your dinner on Tuesday night. And I could happily have haggis, neeps and tatties every single night of the year, along with pizza. Although, not together, that would be horrible. And of course, Robert Burns is famous for his poems. And one of his most popular poems was actually sung at the opening of the Scottish Parliament at the end of last year. A man's a man for all that. And it was last week voted Scotland's top political song of all time. And here's a little bit of how it goes. Are you ready? For all that and all that. The tinsel show and all that. The honest man, though heir poor, is king of men for all that. It's awful enough. So what does that actually mean? And I think Burns would be mortified at that rendition. Once a year, we express our thanks to the works of Robert Burns. But for a Christian, how much greater should our adoration and thanks be to the one who has been so gracious towards us? Another great Scot, and there are many, is someone of the same first name. His name, amen, his name is Robert Murray McShane. Now, Robert Murray McShane was a Christian. This is what he wrote as he reflected on the grace of God in his own life. When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun, when I stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. So that is the second measurement of whether a true heart condition is healthy. We serve God with a thankful heart. And the final measure of a healthy heart is, do we serve God with an expectant heart? Verses 28 to 32. Now this test is a crucial one. Everything that Joel spoke about regarding the day of the Lord will have its ultimate fulfillment in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And for someone whose spiritual heart is healthy, their life will be marked by a sense of anticipation at this coming day. Now, if you're a movie fan, you will know that this year's Oscars are planned to take place on the 27th of February in Los Angeles. And someone who's looking forward to that day is Clint Eastwood. He has just been nominated for the Best Actor and Best Director for his movie, Million Dollar Baby. So the question is, if you are a Christian, is there that same anticipation, not for the Oscars, but for the day of Christ? You see, the return of Christ is an event every Christian can anticipate with tremendous joy. In the book of Revelation, John tries to describe something of what this life is like will be like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Or maybe you're not yet ready for the stay of the Lord. Maybe Jesus Christ is still on the outside of your life. But the Bible tells us that we can be ready, and we must be ready. God wants to live with an assurance, a rock-solid assurance of our present and our future. As this day approaches, we are made an offer. It's found in verse 32 of our reading. And the offer is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now you'll notice in this verse we see God's initiative in that he makes his call clear. But notice, we also see our part. We have a responsibility to respond to this offer and it's each one, for each one of us. One of the best books I have read recently is a book called Killing Fields, Living Fields, written by Don Cormack. And Don Cormack is a missionary who has been working in Cambodia for years with OMF International. And in this book, he speaks about what life was like in Cambodia under the Khmer Rouge. And Don tells us that once he met a young man who was dying. For the last moments of his life, this man called on the name of the Lord. Now he had spent most of his life without enjoying a relationship with God. He had missed out on that. But that day when he called on the name of the Lord, he had an assurance that he was ready for the day of the Lord. Don wrote, Though it was a grim and terrible place, surely I thought, this is holy ground. For here the sovereign God had appeared to a seeker of the kingdom and taken him quickly home. I wonder if there is someone who will do that tonight. The day of the Lord has been set in God's diary and it will not change. Maybe you're here and you want that assurance of having peace with God. You want to be ready for that coming day. So how do you get ready? You call on the name of the Lord. As we, as we read in John's Gospel, yet to all who received him, that is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Will you do that tonight? At the end of last year, I joined a gym. Now, I know you wouldn't think it. And I have to be honest and say, I've actually spent more time in the steam room than working out. However, a few of the machines that you can use at the gym actually allow you to measure the health of your heart. And what you do is, you enter into the machine your age, your height, and your weight. And as you exercise, it assesses how healthy your heart is. Now imagine this. Imagine if there was a machine that could measure how healthy our spiritual heart is. Would it say we are healthy? Or would it say we need some exercise? What are the signs of a healthy heart? We serve God with a whole heart. We serve God with a thankful heart. And we serve God with an expectant heart. May we all echo David the psalmist who wrote, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Let's pray.